Welcome to the world premiere of Jazz Hands. From prolific, best-selling, Grammy-winning composer, arranger, producer, and pianist, Bob James. To say that I'm excited about this brilliant new collection and having Bob here with me today, it would be a massive understatement. And it's no secret that uh, Bob is my favorite musician on the planet. I'll try not to gush. His first album, Bold Conceptions, was produced by Quincy Jones. It dropped in 1963. That happens to be the year that I was born. This extraordinary talent has been releasing music in different and unique configurations for some six-plus decades. His music has always remained relevant, timeless to the point that Bob has been sampled more than any other jazz musician and is credited with contributing to the formation of hip-hop. This new album is being hailed as his most eclectic to date, but Bob James has never been predictable or stayed. The adventure continues on Jazz Hands, as you will hear for yourself very soon, from cool jazz to dance floor jams, cinematic pieces, classical thoughts, and maybe even uh, Broadway-worthy interludes. I'm thrilled to say hello now to my longtime friend and the creator of Jazz Hands, the ingenious Bob James. Welcome, Bob. Gee, Sandy, I'm, I'm humbled. Uh, the, your words and thoughts uh, bring back memories. We've gone through lots and lots of music over many, many years, and I'm very flattered and honored to still be able to do this kind of interview with you. Thank you. The pleasure 100% is mine. I'm just grateful that we're able to sit and chat today about this brand new album. You literally never cease to amaze me, Bob. Never. It's fantastic. Thank you. I love doing it. I've always tried to say that what I love the most is the process. And, and that process for me is about the unknown. I, I just don't like to go down predictable paths. It, it seems to be with, especially with jazz, our listeners expect the unexpected. Definitely. And you never you never disappoint in regards to that. I, I like that philosophy, Bob, so much. It's an inspiration. I think that's how you take life on, not, not just your music, but life. Yeah, hopefully, yes. If, if you don't have danger, the, what's always lurking in the background is boredom. And we don't want that. No. And, and tell me how that is for you now as an octogenarian. Are you finding yourself able to uh, just physically and uh, in all other ways to sort of have that edge out there in, in life in general? I have no idea what that word is. What, what's that mean? <laughs> what's, what's the meaning of that word? I, it's long. I like it, but I don't know what that means. I don't know. We'll think of it as it has octave in it. We can, we can make it have a musical meaning. <laughs> gracefully aging something. I, I don't know. But yes, there's an unavoidable aspect of that is that you're moving uh, on. And I, I rage against the dying of any of those lights. And that's, that's what keeps me moving, keeps me wanting to go. So I, I'm keeping my health and I work out and I do all the things that, to try to uh, uh, keep going as long as I can. I don't, I certainly don't, ever think about retirement. No, uh-uh, no way. You know, last time I saw you was uh, locally here on the Monterey Bay area in Santa Cruz, and you were with a dangerous trio that night at the Combwa. They're not getting any less dangerous, and, and they're represented on this new project, not as much as I would have liked, but I, I during the course of working on this album for more than two years, the my young trio uh, came more into my life. And so I wanted to make sure that they were represented and we could talk about that later. But yeah, I, I love what they bring to me, the, the youthful uh, experimentation and the energy and uh, helps to keep me young. Absolutely. And you know, Bob, you are young. We don't even have to discuss. We don't have to bring up those big words anymore. You have the youngest mind of anyone I, I've ever known. Um, and I really appreciate that about you. What I really love about this album is it does get dangerous. It gets dicey. It gets, uh, it's completely unpredictable. Uh, but that trio with the, the drummer and the bass coming in where it comes in, it's just, it's li literally beyond artful to me. It's, it's extraordinary. Thank you so much for saying it, Sandy. That means the world to me because this music process 
you only get halfway through when you make it, but then it's after it's listened to when it becomes real. And uh, I I love that danger too, not really knowing what the reaction is going to be. And but by that time, it's out of my hands, and it's it's up to whether or not people want to give it a listen. Yeah, and i I've had I had some jaw dropping moments. Uh, listening to Jazz Hands, and I know our listeners today will as well. I mean, we're going to have a chance to play this in just a bit. It's literally going to be globally here on smoothjazz.com a week before it officially drops. Now there are uh, singles um, at radio right now. However, the full album in its exact original order, all that's coming up here in just a moment on smoothjazz.com. Bob James is here with us. Bob, I think you have a lot of fun with titles. Am I right about that? Sometimes I do. Sometimes they elude me and that I end up uh, maybe going a little too crazy where it doesn't exactly reference the music. But but yes, I do have fun. And there are a couple of them on this album that that are fun for me, but they also have a story behind them. So I, I'm looking forward to talking to you about that. Okay, we'll get into that here in just a bit. Um, jazz hands, you know, I, of course that of has a few meanings. I'm just curious, are you a Will and Grace fan? Uh, yes, I was. I haven't watched that show in, in quite a while, but yes, I was. And uh, But I wouldn't have remembered how jazz hands would relate to it. Okay, okay. Well, uh, so Jack uh, Jack in Will and Grace, you, you know, when he was uh, auditioning for Broadway, he, he came up with this little, I'll have to send you a meme or a video or whatever they call that, gif, jif, um, on, on Jack uh, from Will and Grace when he said he had jazz hands. And that's what cracked oh. me up when I saw the title. <laughs> wow. Maybe CeeLo Green knew about that show and watched it because he's the one that came up with that title. It wasn't it wasn't my title. CeeLo's did the lyrics. But I now that you're mentioning about Jack and his Broadway audition, I do remember it. And who is Jack going to be today? Yeah, you know, exactly. He had reinvented himself or something yeah. like that. It it just came back into my mind. That was years ago when I watched that, but it was fantastic. Very clever show, and I know you're a really clever guy, so I, I kind of thought there might be a dot to be connected. And mentioning CeeLo Green, we'll hear him in a bit on the title track, but wow, that's a cool collaboration there between the two of you. It sure was, and very, very much fun to try to get inside of how his talent works, what what inspires him to sing and all kinds of stuff. Bob, when people ask you, you know, what, you know, before they've heard the album, but as it's not quite yet released, uh, what do you, how do you describe this project in your own words? I wish I could say that I had some kind of a theme. Uh, I didn't even have the title until CeeLo Green came up with that song when I was working with him. But uh, if one of these days, and I don't think I've done it yet, uh, I would like to make an album that had a kind of recurring theme or a, an idea that went through all of the tunes that tied them all together. But in this case, like so many of my records in the past, they I work on them individually uh, without thinking of them in context with anything else. And then when I get enough of them in, in, uh, recorded, I think, well, maybe I have enough for an album. So then I start thinking about them as an album. But by the time that happens, there may be eight or ten unrelated songs with me possibly being the only common denominator that runs through all of them. Wow. Okay. Well, that's fascinating. That's a really, that's a lot of insight. Almost like an artist doing paintings and then when there's enough the show is curated yes and sometimes the artists work in a, like in a series this is my landscape series or this is my whatever where there, where you could see a theme going through them but i uh, maybe this one the jazz hands album is one of the more eclectic albums that i've made not that i started out to do it that way it just kind of happened, the pandemic came along that affected all of us in so many different ways. So I was working in different studios with different musicians. There there was no overriding theme, but what eventually happened was I had all this material, it's time to put it out. Let's put it in a package and give it a title. That's pretty much the way it 
developed. It makes sense. I mean, also because of the fact that it's running through a lot of different neighborhoods musically. Um, whoever put the, the the set list together, the track list together, did a wonderful job because it does become a journey, and um, and it has its relief, and it has you know it has moments of rise and falls. It's it's really well done in that regard. But um, I look forward to your first concept album then. Maybe next time, huh? <laughs> you never know, thank you. Because maybe, you know, the classical album or maybe the chamber music album or, um, or maybe the mood albums. One of the things that people sometimes say to me is that if they put my music on and just have it play in its sequence, they they can't get into a dreamy mood because all of a sudden they're going to get awakened by something, something crazy. Uh, and so I don't really usually consider my albums mood music uh, unless they do some custom sequencing of their own. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, before we get into this brand new album, I just want to point out to our listeners that there really is no downtime for you. Um, since we spoke last on the air, it would have been with the release of Espresso. And by my count, there's been something like five releases since Espresso, including that amazing uh, Feel Like Making Live double vinyl project. I mean, it's out digitally as well, but you know where I have it. I have that orange platter on my turntable Uh and I, I, I launch it every Sunday morning uh, to, to listen to while I, when I get up and just sort of chill, it's just the best, but I want to congratulate you on what you've done while the rest of us just didn't, we hunkered down in COVID and I think you put out something like five releases. Well, I was busy. I, I, I know that. And I, it's, uh, I tend to, love going forward so much that sometimes I don't even really go back and listen very much to previous stuff because I want to think about the next thing that's coming up or whatever, and I don't want to dwell. For one thing, once you turn it in and once it gets pressed and either on vinyl or on CD or whatever, there's nothing you could do about it. So if, if I hear something from the past that I think, ooh, why did I do that? Or I wish I hadn't used that chord or whatever. Uh, can't really do anything about it. So in that kind of way of thinking, I like just thinking more about what, what's coming up next. So you don't really pour over your um, your previous releases too much? Very often, the immediately after it, I don't listen at all. I prefer to wait at least six months, maybe even a year, because by the time that much time goes by, I've forgotten about a lot of the trivia, a lot of the specific minutia that goes into making those records. Yeah. And I can almost try to listen to it as if it was some other artist. And that's when it becomes sometimes really fun, I, that, that I feel... Uh, vindicated with myself. I can feel like I realized why I made the decisions. Uh, but if I listen too much after I just turned it in, then I just get nervous and, and I am lo- looking or listening to the minutiae instead of the big picture. That's a really important bit of information there, especially for recording artists listening right now, because there's so much that goes on in the in the studio that a lot of none of us know about, really, you know, why you did this take, why you played it on that particular, you know, keyboard or piano or why you had that artist do whatever. We none of us know any of that. So you just want to clear it out before you go back. Definitely. And and you're listening repetitively over and over and over again sometimes during the day you listen to that one song 50 times so no matter what no no matter if you do think it's pretty good you're tired of it by the end of that and all kinds of wrong things start to come into your head i i really uh know that i've given my best uh, every time i'm working on a tune and then i feel like i gotta let it go and later on, if I can listen back to it as a listener rather than as a critic, uh, that that's when uh, sometimes, anyway, I have fun listening. Yeah, I can see that. And I would imagine like that live project you did, that's a little bit different than a studio recording because we uh, we get to hear the magic of what you sound like live and in, in particular with this um, ensemble. Um, and I wonder if that doesn't, 
Is that something that you can go back and listen to a little sooner than um, a studio recording? Yes. I, I give a lot of credit to Ashley Whitfield, who's the uh, president of the record company Evolution that has been putting out my records recently. And it was his idea to make this live album, but make it in a controlled way. We were actually in a studio, but treating the performances as if it was live. And the only audience we had were all the technical people, the staff and the video people, whatever. But we we were recording high quality video and audio with mostly some of the same material that I had previously done my studio recordings. So it was familiar material, but trying to approach it as uh, a live performance, but have the engineer have a lot more control. Uh, and hopefully we ended up with a with a live kind of feeling, but very controlled audio. Yeah. Oh, well, for sure you did. Definitely. And, and you, you can take it from me as I listen to it every Sunday. So. <laughs> mm, well, thank you again, Sandy. Now, I feel like I want to say to you, that don't listen too much because I don't want you to reach that point like I do when <laughs> no, I'm it's working not on possible. this stuff where I've heard it too many times. So, Bob, I have to ask because, you know, people are going to want to know, um, and I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't. Uh, the, of course, the million-dollar question is, is there is there a runway coming up here for a plane to land for foreplay? Yes, there's the runway still there. The desire is Still there, I believe. I, I'm not talking with Nathan and Harvey on a weekly basis, but we still stay in touch a lot. And every time we do talk or run into each other in various places around the world, that's probably just about the first thing that comes up in our minds. Uh, I have very mixed feelings at this point. Um, one of them having to do, and I think Harvey and Nathan share my sentiment, there was something about the intensity of our time with Chuck Loeb at the end of his life uh, that set such a very specific high standard. And he, he was somebody that we saw, in, he injected a kind of new life into our music, left with a kind of empty feeling. All of us had gone on in years, me included, as you octope pointed out to me, <laughs> whatever that was, whatever that word was. Uh, octave. And, uh, oh, octave. Yeah, it could be that. Well, uh, I, by the way, unrelated to that, I, my new goal is to reach the 88 point where I'm playing all 88. I love that. Notes of the piano keyboard. I love I'm, it. Age eighty-eight. So that's so. I got a way. I got a ways to go, but I'm, I'm aiming for that. Yeah, let's not rush that. So, continuing about foreplay, part of me loves the memory of it and thinking of it in that way. And at this age and stage of uh, our lives, to start up again uh, would have to be some special circumstance. Uh, one thing that we could do more easily would be to do a kind of final concert or a few symbolic final concerts in which we would invite either Larry or Lee Rittenauer to, to join for, for that. We've talked about that back and forth a few times. But even setting up for a tour is a, a big commitment. And I, I know I can't do both. So having embarked in a more ambitious way with my own solo career after Chuck Lowe passed away, made his mixed feelings to have to give that up to shift back over into the foreplay mode again. Just as a memory tour, I don't know that I have the energy for it. I'm, I'm being really candid with you about all this uh, because I, none of us have made up our mind definitely no, but each time the subject comes up, that's kind of what I'm thinking about and it would be even more so if we were thinking about committing to an album we'd have to choose a fourth member some kind of way um and once you do that then it's an even bigger commitment because if you want the album to be successful you've got to plan it around the tour and before you know it that whole concept takes two or three years out of your life 
And in the meantime, I'm trying to establish this identity with my trio, which I love. And so that's where I'm at. Nathan and Harvey would have to describe it from their standpoint, uh, which is, I'm sure, a little different. I, I can say this to you candidly. I know you communicate with Nathan all the time, but I don't want to be the one to quit. I, I don't ever want to be the one to say no. So if a strong enough offer or concept or whatever, and definitely if either Nathan or Harvey had a clear vision, said, Bob, will you join us on this vision? I am not going to say no. I love it. Okay. And thank you for you being candid and for that explanation, because that really does make so much sense. And um, I will say, I, I do, and you know that I've, I would, I would, I'm going to just put whatever energy and support I can in the mix should these dialogues start happening and it starts making sense because I'll, I'll participate any way I can, whether that's a live event or, or just my hopefulness. But I do see a full circle vision here and I love the idea of, um, you know, maybe inviting Larry and Lee to take part in it and then, you know, maybe there's a button down kind of project going out, you know, where it's, you know, there's a full circle in a way. Yes. And there, there's so much history that we are proud of. And I can remember back in 1991 when it looked like it probably was just going to be a one-off album uh, with no long uh, longevity even being spoken about. We started to talk about the modern jazz quartet as a something to emulate some and that how their music had its own identity as a group name that was separate from the individual people that were in it and we weren't sure that that we could accomplish that but we all talked about it at that time and i was very very curious about it uh, and now i can look back on it more than 25 years of music that we made and yes, it did end up having a sound that every time people talk to me about that group, they make reference to the four-place sound that's different from mm-hmm. other stuff. So if nothing else, very much pride and happiness that we were able to do that. And now we have the the CDs or the, the, the music to demonstrate it and show for it. You have a legacy. You have a beautiful legacy with with just foreplay alone. It's just really something. And and as I don't, it sounds like you didn't imagine it would become, you know, literally uh, the most successful jazz, a uh, contemporary jazz ensemble uh, of all time. I like the music that represents whatever makes people think that they can recognize it, uh, because of the fact that it has a warmth and a romanticism that's accessible, not just to musos or critics or whatever, that we, we never approached that music in a, in a intellectual kind of way. Mm-hmm. It was very, it came out spontaneously. The, we wanted to please each other when we were going to the studio. And, um, and yet all of us were very trained and, and feel like we were treating that music with love and respect so that it's not, we weren't aiming for some commercial easy victory. Uh, and I think it shows when, when people try to play that music, uh, it's more elusive to, to get at the meat of it than people sometimes think that it would be. It comes off in some ways seeming like easy music, but uh, believe me, it wasn't easy for us. We put our all of our heart and brains into all that stuff. Well said, Bob. Well said. Uh, you are listening to the articulate and uh, well-spoken Bob James here. We are about to debut his brand new album, Jazz Hands. Uh, and Bob, I'm going to have you go ahead and introduce the first track on the album. And we'll get this underway on smoothjazz.com. Cut one on the Jazz Hands album is called Mumbalicious, uh, which was a invented word that my drummer James Atkins came up with. We first were going to call it Mumbalipso, that that he James was trying to 
create some kind of hybrid rhythm for us in the studio that in his head, it was a combination of a mambo and a calypso. So eventually we ended up with this track that to me doesn't sound either like a mambo or a calypso, or maybe not even that Latin, but at least it got us thinking and uh, ended up with, I think, something that grabs people's attention and gives me an opportunity to introduce to my music uh, this drummer that has become part of my trio. He's originally from Florida. He now lives in Austin, Texas. His name is James Adkins. And this is the song that we composed together called Mumbalicious, right here on smoothjazz.com. listen to a song called The Other Side, which is a sequel to a song that I co-composed with my manager and close friend, Sonny Abelardo, that was on my Espresso album. And that song was called Top Side. So this one we call The Other Side. And I like the order of the sequence on my album because The Other Side is a very different mood from the first cut. And it's a kind of laid back, mellow, feeling in which I feature my new rhythm section with Michael Palazzolo on acoustic bass, James Adkins on drums, and then a little subtle percussion from the great Lenny Castro. Uh, But the icing on the cake, a good friend of both of ours who plays the most amazing um, Hammond organ, Ricky Peterson, who's played with just about everybody in the music business. And we sent him this track to overdub after we'd recorded the basic tracks in in Hollywood. And he just uh, put exactly the kind of uh, funky, mellow, mysterious mood to it. So I hope you enjoyed that song, The Other Side. Continuing with the album comes the title song. Uh, I can't take credit for that title because the title and the lyrics are part of a song that developed in the studio when I had the chance to work creatively with CeeLo Green. And it was a very unusual session that we were called upon to do. At first, when we went into the studio in in Atlanta, uh, we weren't really sure what was gonna come out of it. There was a company that both of us were affiliated with that was doing things where we would just create something with the idea that it might get sampled by some hip hop producers and not necessarily to be on an album. And we were thinking we might just do some short snippets or um, experiment because we were meeting each other for the first time. But as we got further and further into the studio, one day uh, I was um, kind of collaborating with a little keyboard part with CeeLo's producer, Corey Moe, and CeeLo was just sitting there listening. He wasn't really doing much of anything. He wasn't singing. And I wasn't even sure whether he was paying attention to what we were doing. And we ended that day without finishing up a tune. I went back to my hotel room, came 
back the next morning. And by the time I got there, CeeLo had already laid down this killer vocal track. And he'd been thinking it through in his mind the whole day, taking his own notes. And he had the harmonies and he had his lead vocal. He had pretty much essentially the whole idea of the song in, in which he wanted his lyrics to make some reference to jazz history indirectly reference to Miles Davis and to di different uh, um, feelings about the jazz atmosphere. So I got very, very excited at, at that time. And I knew that we were onto something, but had no idea that it would end up as the title to my new album. So I want you to have fun now listening to collaboration with CeeLo Green, a song called Jazz Hands, right here on smoothjazz.com. just heard another song from my new Jazz Hands album. This is one of my originals, a new one called Come Into My Dream. And it features one of close friend and collaborator Dave Koz on the sax. Earlier last year, Dave had asked me to make a little piano contribution to one of his songs. So this was my opportunity to get a reciprocal. I love the way he played it. And it also features a new friend from the Miami, Florida area, Carlos Camilo, is doing some bass and drum programming. He's a phenomenal keyboard player and composer, and I took advantage of his creative skills to have him lay down some pretty funky rhythm stuff on this song. It also features John Mahan on percussion, uh, who for many, many years has been the percussion player for Elton John. So it was really great to feature him. And the track was mixed and engineered by Dave Marcioni Jr., whose father, Dave Marcioni Sr., also plays wonderful acoustic guitar on this track, Come Into My Dream. The next track holds a lot of sentiment for me because over many years, I've been trying to figure out a way that I can pay some homage and appreciation for the influence that the legendary Quincy Jones has had on my career and my musical life. He's been a big influence on me all the way back to my college days when I was a competitor at the Notre Dame Jazz Festival, and he was one of the judges. And that ended up giving me the opportunity to make an album for him, which was called Bold Conceptions. Way back at that same time, I learned some very interesting kind of a secret behind the scenes thing about Quincy that he liked to give people nicknames. And I've heard him give nicknames to many, many other people. But the one that he gave to me dates back from 1963 when he started calling me Beer Bomb. And that's the reason why I wanted to call this tune Beer Bomb, to show him that I still remember it. And I smile every time I see him immediately. He says, how you doing, Beer Bomb? Well, the backstory for that is that at the time I first met Quincy, I was thinking about going a whole different way with my music life and doing music for the theater. And I was working on trying to convert a play by the English playwright Max Beerbaum into a musical. And 
the name of Max Bierbaum's play was uh, about a character named Zulika Dobson. And I told this story to Quincy at the time about what I, he was asking me what I was doing. And I had no idea that he would remember it or anything else. But something about that name Bierbaum stuck in his mind. And even though the musical never got written and I never even went back to it, it had a life of its own being my nickname and very flattering and a big honor to think that Quincy would still remember it after so many years. So this is my tribute to him. It features my rhythm section again, Michael Palazzolo and James Adkins with Lenny Castro on percussion. Here's Beer Bomb. So that was The Alchemist. And finally, after my young, very, very talented bass player had submitted several tunes to me, I liked all of them, but I wasn't quite sure how to fit them into my own repertoire. But on this new project, Michael brought this tune into the studio that was so creative, so different, and so mesmerizing to me that I knew that I wanted to figure out a way of using it to showcase another aspect of his talent. He's a marvelous bass player that has contributed so much to my music recently. But this song he composed specifically for this project. It features James Atkins on drums, and I'm very happy to include it on the album. It's called The Alchemist. And you are listening to Bob James, who has joined us here on smoothjazz.com global uh, for the world premiere of his brand new album, Jazz Hands, on Evo Sound, which will drop on Friday, September 16th, this coming Friday. Uh, and you have this wonderful opportunity to hear every single song with Bob in studio with us, um, giving us a little uh, taste and behind-the-scenes info on each and every track. Bob, this is sounding amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very honored to have you be the one to introduce this music to the world. Thank you for that. I mean, it's such a pleasure to have known you all of these years, you know, and getting to know you personally, and then also to have been, uh, you know, kind of in and out of your musical journey here and there as we catch up around the world, uh, whether it's in Mallorca, Spain, or Portland, Oregon, or wherever you're playing in all of your different configurations. And uh, I feel like we've had a chance to forge a bit of a friendship over the years, and it's, it's had great meaning to me. So thank you. And same here. And I, I want to go on record to say that I'm ready for us to do this same thing with the next project and the next project. I'm down. I hope I can keep doing them. <laughs> Great. Me too. You got it. You got it, Bob. We're, we're going to make that happen. And as prolific as you are, I'm counting on it. I'm banking on it. So this is going to be good. I do have a quick question for you. If you have any idea at all, uh, what what number? Do you have a number in mind of how many songs that you have written over the years? I mean, not not counting, I mean, ca- yeah, counting the ones that didn't get recorded. What do you think? Well, you're truly, you've got to be in the thousands, right? It's it's up there, and I lost count, and I don't think I even want to count because it <laughs> it uh, will make me feel old in the wrong way. No, okay, I, okay, I got you. Uh, Are you writing every week? I do. One way or another, I do something. Is it, I, I don't have a routine, but these days, very recently, because I have a slightly different 
living home environment where my studio is in part of where I also live, my residence. And even in the wintertime, I can go into the studio without having to go out into the ice and snow where I'm in northern Michigan. And otherwise, I would have to put my boots on at least. But in, my, in the new setting, I can be indoors. And I do like to start off the day with some form of either playing the piano or trying to work on some new composition. And I have reached the age. Okay, we're talking too much about age. But this one, I have to sort of describe it as a phenomenon of some hearing loss. And with my hearing not being what it used to be years ago, I have what I refer to as ear fatigue. So by the end of the day, my ears are not giving me pleasure when I, even when I play the piano, whatever. So if I, if I'm thinking and listening too much music, I get tired and I feel like my most pleasure comes in the early morning. And then I can feel fresh. And then ideas that come into my head seem good to me. That's not always the case in the, in the afternoon. And some people who are coming to my live concerts where I might be playing at 1030 at night may have some uh, bad feeling about that. And all I can say is I try my best to take naps and do a whole different approach when I'm touring so that I can feel more fresh in the evening. It's, it's almost like the complete opposite of what I do at home. I see. That's interesting. And, you know, we the body does work that way. When we shut it down entirely or get into some sort of meditative state, it does regenerate, you know, and, and that's why I think the morning is ideal uh, for the optimal, you know, part of the body to, to function. I really need it because there's, some, there's something about when sound or music sound feels fresh to me, then I get inspired and then I want to try things and I want to write it down some whatever. But but there's a point, and, and I know it's physical with my ears, where it's just fatigue. Yeah. And so what I feel is... Uh, very often a kind of irritation, no matter what I play, it doesn't sound good to me. So I, I, when I reach that point, it's time to quit for the day. I get it. I do. I get it. And I think I'm going to just say this right now for people listening who have younger ones in their family. It's really important that ears are really protected at an, a young age all the way through uh, because Bob and I both started our careers in the music industry in our teens. And, you know, we, I'm sure like me, Bob, the louder, the better for at, at times, you know, and I didn't even, yes. I didn't even think about it. You know, my mom tried to warn me, but you know, we don't always listen. So um, I, I'm just going to put that out there. If you do have young ones in your family, um, uh, make sure you get those little ear muffs or whatever to protect the ears because they we got to get them to last all the way through. And it can happen at any age. You can get ringing in your 30s, 40s, just it's exposure to loud noise after a while. And Bob's been to many a concert. Thank you very much for saying that. I feel the same way. And I wish that I had been able to protect mine more. But I know of some other musicians who have suffered more than I have and really lost their hearing as a result of just being subjected over and over again to to way too overbearing huge sound systems and cranked up way too far. Yes, that could be dramatic, I suppose, but it, it's uh, not the best way to listen to music anyway, and it's certainly not good for your ears. No, and it's interesting now there is an awareness of it, which I'm really grateful for, um, for people who, you know, who, who are younger. Um, even your iWatch, you know, your watch will tell you um, there's a warning signal on there that you're, you know, you're, you're around too loud of noise, you know. So take heed, take it from us because there is too much of a good thing and that volume control uh, needs, to, <laughs> needs to be monitored a bit. Absolutely, so. definitely. Yeah. Ears are everything, especially to those of us who put so much stock in the audio part of life, you know. So, well, I'm glad that you, it sounds to me, Bob, like everything else, you found a workaround and you know your best time and, and creating music is something we want you to keep doing. So I just thought it was, I thought, man, I bet you've written countless songs, given the fact that you must be, you know, writing constantly, even weekly. I do. But I'm, 
I know that I have had to adjust the fact that I hear things differently. My brain is responding differently. So uh, I try to be objective about that. And I, I know that I also have the benefit of the experience it, with the intellect is telling me what those melodies should be or the dynamics should be, even if my ears are not giving me the same kind of feedback that they would have 40 years ago. That's a good point. That's a great point. Yes. Yeah, for sure. I can write it down and then ask somebody else to pl- play it for me that has young ears or whatever. Yeah. you Well, you have a ton of resources. And I think also it's almost like sonar at this point, you know, with all of the experience that you have. Um, exactly. Get it down and then let someone take a listen and I'm sure they'll check you. Hey, Bob, where was the cover shot for Jazz Hands? I really love that. Well, there was a manipulated uh, a photograph that was taken in the basement when my new renovated home was being built. We started from the ground up and they dug out. I have a full basement. And when they were first putting in the foundation, it was fun to walk around there and took some pictures. And I even had my engineer come over with the microphone so that we could record the reverb because these cement walls in this basement had a sound that was kind of unique of its own. So that process of, of watching a building come up from, from the basement up was fun and I enjoyed it. And I actually submitted a bunch of different photographs to the art department of my record company. And they were the ones that chose that one. That's great. It's really cool. So if you're listening um, right now, you can check the uh, it's it's displaying jazz hands. Bob James is displaying right now on smoothjazz.com. If you're on the mobile app, you have a nice look at it right there at Smooth Global. Very vibrant, very colorful, and there you are looking very fit. Thank you. And uh, and it's very cool to see. Yes, looking good. And it's so it's such a fun graphic, and it really does apply. Uh, nicely to this collection and we will let you pick back up Bob because you're doing a wonderful job not only um, as the artist who you know created this collection but as a DJ and my hat's off to you my fellow DJ I'll let you continue just in talking to you I'm getting this excitement of realizing that the, the music is going out to the public for the first time within the next week and having the opportunity to talk about it is making me feel real good at it took longer than most of my other albums. All these tunes were done during, a lot of them were done during the pandemic. And and once it finally got uh, finished, it, some of the recordings were starting to fade a little bit in my memory, the details of it. So bringing, bringing that back and bringing the memories back of doing it is fun for me to share. And I want to share a Another eclectic tune, which I call Mop Head, um, after some of those crazy hairdos that I see these days. That's about as much logic as I could come up with for that title. I still like the way it sounds, so I'm imagining playing that piece in my performance and, and uh, giving it a title for the audience and smiling when I say Mop Head. I'm going to play Mop Head, but don't ask me what it means. So, yes, I composed it. No, I don't know what it means, but I, I know the f- funky groove that I felt that it had. And it was a piece that I did in my studio, starting out with some digital percussion stuff. And then it kind of gradually evolved to the point where I wanted to play it for a, one of my new fave musicians, this guy that I mentioned earlier who lives in Miami, really, really talented composer, keyboard player, even singer named Carlos Camilo, full name Carlos Camilo Perez. And he came up and visited me in Traverse City. And when I played him the tune, I told him, I want you to humanize this. I was doing it kind of a lot with my computer, simulating what I felt that this groove should be. But he started experimenting around with his way of of playing synth bass and doing some drum programming. And between the two of us, we got this groove going, uh, kept it simple. And here it is for you, Mophead, on smoothjazz.com.
encounter with the amazing DJ Jazzy Jeff, who first sampled me when he was with his Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince uh, part of his career many, many years ago. And they sampled one of my songs, Westchester Lady. And that was my introduction to finding out that rappers and hip hop producers were starting to sample my music. And after that kept going for so many years, I finally thought, gee, it would be nice to actually collaborate when I would be involved with somebody that was using my music for their creativity. So Jazzy Jeff and I got on the phone, exchanged some ideas, and he sent me some stuff that he had been working on, and I uh, responded by adding my creativity to it. And this is the end result Produced by the two of us, DJ Jazzy Jeff and me, that bop. Next is The Secret Drawer, a collaboration with the Korean composer, teacher, Rachel Kwok, with whom I've been working recently. She's been acting as my creative consultant. We collaborated on a song called Elysium on the album I recorded recently with Till Brunner. Uh, the album was On Vacation, and this time... This song, The Secret Drawer, represents a kind of mysterious idea of what lies beneath the surface that you don't really know about. And we interpreted that this way with instrumental music to let the listener decide on their own what's inside that secret drawer. It has some of the same people that I used on the other songs. Carlos Camilo has given me some bass and drum programming. Dave Marcioni Sr. played some guitar. And I also feature one of my new favorite musicians. He's from the Ukraine. I met him about five years ago, and I traveled over to Kiev at that time and heard him play, loved what I heard. He eventually came to the U.S. I expect to be doing lots more with him in the future on alto sax is Andre Schmutz on smoothjazz.com. So you may have noticed 
the warm applause that I'm so happy that we got when I did this performance. Originally, uh, I was not planning to have a, a live performance included on this album, but I've been sitting on this recording, loving it for enough years that I just felt like it was time to have the public hear it. Uh, it happened on a jazz cruise that I was doing in the Caribbean in which I was playing with a different band, all musicians that I really admired, but uh, never anticipating that it would be a, a live recording available to the public. But there was just enough room at the end of this album that I thought I just want to include this composition called Sea Goddess. I wrote it specifically to be performed in its world premiere on the ocean. It features Nathan Phillips on bass, Jay Williams on drums, great saxophone solo from Tom Braxton, and also an amazing guitar solo from Dwight Sills, the percussionist Ramon Islas. This is Sea Goddess. What a great way to end the project, Bob. Beautiful. Thank you for letting me uh, do all this. <sighs> Much more DJing than I think I've ever done in my life. You know what? We're so grateful. Or maybe it's since the last Sandy, <laughs> since the last Sandy Shore uh, announcing the last presentation that we did in espresso. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, you've d you've done many. I think you are probably um, the artist with the most world premieres here on SmoothJazz.com, and if you include the foreplay and the solo stuff. And you've gotten you get mm, well. If that's true, I'm very. You've proud. gotten better and better with your DJing, and you know what's great about this is this is why I love doing these because it's a rare opportunity for an artist to go that deep in to the creation of an album, and everyone wants to know, and they don't want to just read it; they want to hear it from you. I think we also live in this kind of time where so many people listen one tune at a time, and they. They belong to subscription services where they just uh, randomly find a playlist and you don't get a chance to learn about all this, what goes on behind the scenes. I, my era was the LP era where every big 12-inch packaging had lots and lots of liner notes. And I got to know who those sidemen were. And, and even to this day, when... It's more difficult sometimes to find out that information. I have fans asking me all the time, and I love those kind of fans that listen beyond just the mood of a song, but they want to know who played bass, and they want to know what went on behind the scenes. Definitely, and that's why this is so exciting here to have the artists actually um, contribute that information, little bits and pieces that we would otherwise just not know. Even though, you know, I used to love picking up those album covers and, you know, using my imagination, what the studio was like and how all those artists performed together. This actually is literally going straight to you and giving us things that we didn't know. We would never know. So thank you for that. And thank you for this wonderful new album. Bob, I know it was a couple of years in the making. You can hear that. Um, the dedication, the articulation in the music. It's And just the and the variety of, of the tracks from, uh, you know, some really very on the edge to date stuff to classical leanings it's everything we imagine and love about you i appreciate that so much sandy coming from you i know you hear it all thank you for saying all of that of course and we'll see you out on the road soon because uh you will be out there you're always out there um traveling the world with your trio and in different configurations so I'll look forward to seeing you out here on the West Coast one of these days soon. Meanwhile, let's not forget this brand new album, Jazz Hands, out on Evo Sound. It will drop on Friday, September 16th. That's coming up in a week here. Um, so you can save it on your digital platforms, however you like to source your music. There will be physical copies available. Will this one be available on vinyl as well, Bob? Yes, it will, definitely, because my record company, Evo Sound, uh, makes extremely high-quality vinyl. That's very much part of their reputation, and yes, it will be. Okay, great. I'm going to put my order in soon because I I need to uh, mix it up with um, Feel Like Making Live. Thank you so much. For my Sunday morning ritual. <laughs> I love that you're still listening to vinyl. That's my, I, I do too, but not as much as I used to. That, that, that effort of going over to the turntable, I have the manual one where it, if I don't, 
take it off of, of the turntable, it's going to just keep spinning around there at the center. So I have to pay attention when I play my vinyl. We have to look at it as free exercise. <laughs> yes, of course. You know, I was going to tell you that my my techniques turntable goes back to actually comes from a studio uh, from when I was on the radio, you know, probably it's probably 25, 30 years old now. And it it it's a, it plays like a million bucks. It sounds amazing. So mm. it's it's one of those that I kind of pulled out of storage some years back in this, um, you know, new new vinyl era that we're in. And I'm so glad I did. In fact, I'm going to be ad- making a listening room in, in my little beach cottage here in Pacific Grove that'll be just dedicated to vinyl. So next time you come through the area, I'd love to have you stop by and see it. Absolutely. Definitely. We'll count on it and we'll have an espresso together. All right, Bob, thanks again for your time. Congratulations on Jazz Hands and uh, all the best to you out there. For smoothjazz.com, Global Radio, I'm Sandy Shore. Thank you so much for joining us.